Hey, pumpkin heads, happy Thanksgiving weekend. I just want to give a quick thanks to some new Patreon members. Thank you to Jason Van Slyke, as long as there's some, Mandy Dayton, Joel at Black Dot, Matt Monroe, and Andrew Lee. Thank you very much to those of you who just signed up to our Patreon. You can sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com slash smashing pumpcast. We have polls, early access to episodes, chances to ask questions to future guests, and our new Patreon-only series, Mashed Pod-Tatoes, where we cover the songs of the infamous Mashed Potatoes box set. If you want to throw a few bucks our way, you could do so at buymeacoffee.com slash pumpcast, P-U-M-P-K-A-S-T. It's basically like a digital tip jar. But if you still want to support the show and are low on funds, no problem. You can still help by leaving a four to five star rating and short but sweet review on Apple Podcast and a four to five star rating on Spotify. I don't understand the algorithm, but supposedly this helps the cast get seen and heard by more pumpkin heads. Thanks to all who contribute to the Pumpcast. Without you, none of this would be possible. Thank you from the bottom of our SP heart. You know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. Well, don't interrupt. Hello, pumpkin heads, and welcome to the Smashing Pumpcast. I apologize for the delay on episodes coming out on the main feed. I had some recent setbacks because of a car accident. Thankfully, I'm fine. And some other not so fun things, but thankfully, the entertainment industry isn't striking anymore, which means Pat and I can get back to work. Pat is immediately back to work, so a lot of the episode recordings, editing, producing, and promotion falls on me. So, with all those factors, it takes a bit of time to finish a full episode. I appreciate your patience and support as always. Today on the show, I'll be talking to Pumpkins producer, engineer, and mixer Howard Willing. Howard was incredibly kind to sit down with me to chat about his history and his work with the Pumpkins. Just a heads up, this episode was originally recorded in June of this year, 2023. A number of factors kept it from being released earlier, but thankfully, all that's cleared up and we can finally release the episode. I talked with Howard about three hours, and after edits and everything, it's roughly a two-hour conversation. There's a ton of great stuff in there that I didn't want to cut, and I figured if anyone's going to listen to two hours of Pumpkins Talk, it's you freaks and ghouls. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is, my interview with Howard Willing. Joining me today, record producer, engineer, mixer, Hell of a guy, according to my sources, Howard Willing. Howard, welcome to the Pumpcast. Thank you for having me. Well, um, I, I want to give thanks to Katie Cole for uh, connecting us because uh, we were doing a live stream of um, the the album Autumn, and uh, you happened to be with Katie at that time, and uh, she's like, you can ask Howard one question. And I was I put on the that. spot and I was like, oh no. <laughs> so I'm glad that we were able to set this up. So we have a little bit longer and I had time to prepare. We also have questions from listeners as well, if you're down for that. Sure. And, uh, but first of all, we as pumpkin fans 
Don't know much about you. I want to get a bit of backstory. Where did you grow up? I'm originally from uh, Long Island, Suffolk mm -hmm. County, Patchogue. Uh, grew up there and uh, for high school, kind of moved down to Florida. Lived there for a while, went to college. And uh, basically the start of my career was uh, in Memphis. And I worked at a place called, uh, it was called Kiva West at the time. It subsequently renamed itself as House of Blues Studios. And uh, working in Memphis, I got to work with uh, a lot of like old school, like Al Green, the Bar Kays, Stable Singers, Isaac Hayes. Like I worked with like unbelievable Memphis musicians when I was there. And uh, I was there for about a year, year and a half. My The owner of the studio had a place out in Los Angeles. It's called Kiva West. And he asked me if I would ever think about moving to LA. And I said, sure. I think two weeks later, I was I had packed up the car and uh, was driving to LA and started working there. And uh, it was there that I kind of met and started working with a lot of like kind of people who are now kind of luminaries like T-Bone Burnett, John Porter, a lot of great, great musicians. And, you know, just kept moving up the ranks, eventually ended up at Sunset Sound and uh, that's kind of, that's that's where I met Billy and the Pumpkins and all of that. What was the moment for you when you were growing up that you had an inkling, or even if it was later in your high school years or whatever, that you had an inkling that you wanted to do this? Like, what was that moment that happened for you that you were like, I think I want to pursue this? Yeah, I can't say that there was any moment. I don't like to say that, like, you always know. Yeah. Because I don't believe that you, you always know. It's just, I never doubted. I remember the moment that I wanted that I was interested in music, like really interested in music. And it was third grade, second or third grade. And at the time schools w had music programs in them. Like yeah. everybody had to take a music class, yeah. right? We were assembled and they brought like uh, high schoolers in to play instruments and show off like individual instruments and stuff like that. Some kid stepped up and started playing the trumpet. And I literally was like, that's the instrument I want to, I want to start with or play. Yeah. And that was like my instrument for 20 plus years. Wow. But, you know, I, I sang, learned violin, learned cello, saxophone, French horn, all of those types of things. And um, it just never, it just, it was just always there. Mm -hmm. The thing I will say is I, I realized early enough that I wasn't good enough to become a, 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 a Branford or a Wynton Marsalis. <laughs> like I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. that kind of musician, and that's uh -huh. the kind of musician that I would would have wanted to be. Like, right. I, you know, I I have the work ethic. I just didn't have the chops, to be quite frank. Uh -huh. I kind of looked for alternate paths into music and to see what was, you know, around. And there was a school that at the time, and I won't mention the school because um, I don't like them. Uh, mainly because I, I, at this point, these schools, they, they kind of just pump kids out yeah. and they fill them full of like these dreams and hopes. And, you know, it's, it's a rough business. I'm very, very lucky to be where I'm at 30 plus years down the road. But I found this school and didn't really learn anything. But the one thing it did give me was it gave me a contact uh, through a friendship, just basically a friendship. And that was how I got the job in Memphis. My friend who was uh, Travis Smith, he w he actually went to school with me and he was working at Kiva House of Blues. And 
wasn't there as an assistant or a runner. He was there as an accountant. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but he called me. He's like, you know, we have this opening for for basically a runner. Do you want to do that? And I I said yes. Yeah. First thing, just packed up and moved up there and slept on his couch for two months, I think. So it's like all is it's connections who you know. Yeah. And then finding your way in and working your way up. Yeah, absolutely. What was the road like for you? meeting up with Billy and working with the pumpkins during the adore era or was did you know him before that or how did that I didn't I didn't know Billy at all before that. I didn't know the punk I mean I knew I knew the pumpkins mm -hmm. um, or of the pumpkins I should say um, it's one of those things I remember working with bands and at the time it was on box TV I don't know if I, this is how old I am but there was a, a thing called box TV and You'd, you'd pay money to get videos played. Oh wow, yeah. And I was I was in the studio working on uh, a record, and this one band, who's a band, if I mentioned them, you guys would, everybody would know and be like, holy shit, of course. But they paid to to have, at the time it was Siamese Dream, uh -huh. to have like Disarm and Cherub Rock played so that they could hear the songs, and because they were just, you know, like like a lot of us. Were kind of like amazed at like the guitar tones and yeah you know kind of how those things were constructed you know i just remember the guys sitting there going how the how the f did they do this yeah you know how, how are they getting these tones how did you get set up with the pumpkins camp well that's that's actually kind of funny so i i was um we were at sunset sound or i was working it's kind of in and out i like between being an assistant and moving up to you know engineer and being freelance basically yeah but i remember i was up at the front desk and i was talking to the manager at the time and he he was like yeah we have this big booking that wants to come in and, and he goes he said i don't know if i want to book them and i, I didn't know i didn't know who he was talking about i'm like he's like and i said to him well, why he's like because i think it's going to be a lot of work you know for like the studio and yeah i'm afraid it's going to be a giant pain in the ass and I and I, I said to him, "Well, who is is it?" And he goes, yeah, "Well, it's this band called the Smashing Pumpkins." <laughs> and I, and I and I said to him, "Oh yeah, I, I, I've heard of them, you know." And and uh, I said, I, "I'll tell you what, if you if you book them, I said you should absolutely book them. But if you book them, I'll do the session, because I I I was known for being able to deal with difficult clients." Uh huh. So they would like if, if if there were difficult clients or like you know really needy clients, I would get put on a lot of those sessions because just demeanor-wise, I it's it's kind of like water off a duck's back for me. Right. Like you can yell at me, you can get upset, you can do whatever, but at the end of the day, I'm just it's it's not I, I I'm not dismissive or anything. I'm just like I will take care of you. Like I'll get the job done for you. Yeah. you know kind of thing so so uh the manager was like great yeah if you if you say you'll do it then uh we'll book them and uh they booked i think they were in there for four months i think they were at sunset sound and that was before they had brought flood in to help and it was just kind of billy yeah, Flood wasn't brought in until way towards the end i mean he billy had billy and the band had already spent uh, a few months with brad wood uh, right in chicago yeah. Um, I think Bjorn at that time, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Bjorn was part of the whole thing. Yeah. Sweet Bjorn. And uh, they just, uh, they, I mean, I, I, it, 
it was the crazy, you know, it's, people today don't get it much because the first day was an entire, like, just setup. Yeah. Like, Gooch, who was kind of like their, their um, I don't know what he would be being called, but like, he basically took care of everything for Billy. Like, came in and all these trunks and, you know, tapes and gear and all this stuff comes in. And it's like, we got to go buy carpet to carpet the studio. We got to go get, do this, you know, just all oh, of this wow. stuff, just stuff that, you know, to set it up so that it was all right. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think Billy and the band showed up until the second day. That's just kind of how all that really went down. Just, and then for, for about four months, I think they were, I think we started in June, June or July. And they were there until October-ish, I believe. Wow. Yeah. And what were your first impressions of, of them coming in? I don't get starstruck. If, mm -hmm. You know, so like Billy and the band coming in, and I'm gonna have to say one thing. If I say Billy, I mean the band. Right. It's just because you know, it's just easier for me. So like, it's it's not all just if that makes any sense. So, right. You know, if, if the band comes in, if, if this band comes in, or if it's Prince, or if it's whomever, it doesn't like to me. It doesn't matter because I I just view them all as like we're there to make art and we're there to kind of like get their vision kind of down. Yeah. The first impression is. It's just like if they treat me nice, then it's good. Well, I don't care. Yeah. You know, and even if they don't, I don't care. It's just you're at the level that you're at or the position that you're at because because of what you offer the world, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. You know, artistically, that's what we're here to serve. We're here to serve the art. Do you think that's the I mean, I know everybody has different approaches, but for you, do you find like that's the best way to deal with? You said earlier, like you were good with dealing with difficult personalities and egos. Do you think that's essential for uh, an engineer or producing role or as a mixer? Do you think you have to have that kind of understanding to be a successful producer, mixer, or engineer? I think you need that to be a successful person. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> everybody has bad days, everybody has good days. Mm -hmm. Being an artist, and trying to shove your art into a two weeks session is an incredibly yeah. stressful and difficult thing to do. Tempers can flare, people can, you know, get upset. I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners have watched that Get Back documentary. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, you have the biggest band in the world and <laughs> see you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just walks, he just yeah. walks out, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, but he comes back, right? Because it's about mm. the music. It's about the art. It's yeah. not about, you know, it's not about self-serving egos. So you have to put that aside for sure without it being like, this isn't my thing. I'm just here to facilitate what absolutely. they need. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm here to contribute. Right. If you, do, if, if you want that, great. If you don't want that, great. But I'm, yeah. I'm here to help you get your art across. I love that. I think that uh, I think it's hard for people, I think, to especially when they're working in the entertainment industry to put no matter what part they play to put those egos aside because they want to put their stamp on it. But yeah. due to your relationship and how you work, you've been a part of some really amazing albums. So already your name is on these pieces of art without there having to be that like drive for ego to be like, uh, let me let me put my stamp on it because you're already on it because you're doing the work. Right, yeah. Well, this kind of uh, leads into 
you were talking about helping execute the vision. Now we have Autumn out, 33 songs, plus the additional 10 songs of Zodion. Mm -hmm. When Billy comes to you and says, Howard, here's my idea for this album. Here's what I want to execute. Here's what I want to do. What's your first thought when he says, I have this grand idea and here's the story and here's the, the musical journey I want to take. What is your immediate thought? What's your knee jerk reaction? I'm trying to think of how to, how to say this without, uh, you know, hanging myself. Here's the thing about Billy is that he knows what he wants to do. Right. Now with Autumn, he came with this sketch basically. And, and it was like, this is kind of like what I'm thinking and what, what I'd like to do. And there's this overarching story behind it. When we first started uh, putting it kind of together, you know, he had these kind of like loose, kind of like ideas of like what each song would represent yeah. to the person or to the, you know, to the robot or to, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And he's explained this better than I have. As, as, as you work on the record, it kind of gets more and more solid. And that's why like a song may get put in or taken out or totally rearranged and done a totally different way than, than expected. Yeah. With this band, I've come to not have any kind of initial reactions. And I think that that's, I know that's kind of weird because it's continuously morphing. It's not like a lot of bands where they come in and they have, I have these 10 songs. Right. And you hear the 10 songs and you're like, okay, well this one we could go a little bit, whatever, we could go a little bit country with this and we could do this with this one and oh, maybe you know do this and this and this. That's not how the pumpkins at all work. So just the idea of working with the pumpkins is, is meaning that you're going to be kind of in a constant state of flux right in terms of like how songs you know are going to feel or, or or become so then how do you juggle something that massive is it just like one piece at a time like what is what goes through your mind because i know that sometimes when you think a big picture can seem very overwhelming so is it just like one song at a time one moment at a time how are you what in your opinion what's the best way to kind of keep something this massive focused and uh how do you approach it i mean like how do you keep it all together you know part of the way it it worked in this case is the way we worked which was we would work on a song go to the next like we continuously worked on the song from one to 33 and then wow. you come back around one to 33 so yeah. each so one informs two two informs three and by the time you get to 33 you're now informed about what how one should be okay yeah makes sense so yeah you go through it again and things kind of just you know morph and solidify was that is that was that just for this album or is that how you've worked with them before i mean is that i mean i imagine that because of the concept that's why you had to work that way for this album part of it was because of the concept with with seer we didn't we didn't work that way mm -hmm. i know on machina we didn't adore we didn't so this is the first time i think we've We've actually done it, you know, sequentially. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't, obviously that doesn't mean like if you're working on a song, like on Seer, we, you know, we would work on songs and be like, oh, well that, 
bass sound or that kind of that work. So let's try to apply it to this other song that's kind of like in the same ballpark. Right. I think in terms of this record, it helped because it helped with your whole kind of consciousness get into the storyline a bit more. Even though, even though I feel like you know, I I didn't I knew the storyline, right? But I didn't I wasn't told all of it. If, if that makes any sense, like I I basically had sketches. Like Billy say, okay, we're working on whatever the gold bass. What's which? What's where are we in the story on that? And I'd have just like a two sentence. This is blah blah blah. Right. And does that help inform your choices for what you recommend or how you record well, it? Well, it does because like you know if you have a, if you have a song that's. Uh, by, by the I forget the I forget the characters' names, but if, but if it's by Shiny or if it's by the the girl in in it, mm. it helps to know if it's kind of, if it's meant to be a bit more feminine, right? In terms of like an approach, or if it's meant to be, you know, if it's the government, right? It you know obviously the government songs are are all the kind of more rock heavy right. songs, yeah. Um, so you know it helps with that, and, and it kind of it, it's like a movie, yeah. That's that's what it's like. It's it's like okay, we're in this this part of the movie now. We're in the yeah. chase scene. We're in whatever. I mean, I have to give massive props to you and to the band because this to me, what what kind of amazes me sometimes, and this is not to slag on anybody who doesn't like the album. It's fine if you don't like the album, but I think people who are approaching this as like kind of a your straightforward album, like from any band, when it clearly states that it's a rock opera. And it's the most cinematic thing. When I listen to the album, I approach it like a movie. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sitting down to watch a movie and it's going through all the act structures. And to me, it's a success in that regard because I go through those peaks and valleys and those ups and downs. And I think to keep that massive concept together and then have it feel like that movie structure is a, a, a huge accomplishment. I think it's it's incredibly impressive, and with something this massive, how do you keep sane, keeping it all together? Like, what is the secret <laughs> to like just being like? Is it just putting your head down to do the work, or what is it that when you find yourself being this overwhelmed with things, what keeps you focused and keeps you getting the job done? I work out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's really that's really all it comes down to. Yeah. No, I mean, I know part of it is like you got to take time, time. Mm -hmm. You know, so even if it's even if it's an hour in the morning, you know, thirty minutes at night or whatever, you got to kind of you got to break away from it a bit. Mm -hmm. At least for me, I do. I can't, you know, I, obviously I can't speak for the band. I can't speak for Billy, um, but I I need to like break away from it and listen to something that's not on the table. In terms yeah. of, uh, you know, I, I won't listen to alt rock or rock music. Right. I'll listen, you know, I'll listen to whatever classical music or NPR or something like that. You know, yeah. just something that's totally devoid of like anything having to do with this, which was kind of different than how I, at least I worked or thought about when we were making this the, the psych record, the ten the ten track record. Yeah, that that I actually just just kept listening to records of that era so like on my day off i would listen to like paul revere and the raiders and you know tons of beatles donovan and all the stuff that we were referencing at the time i was gonna say because uh, it's such a I, I really love the extra the zodion tracks because it has that feel to it that it feels kind of scrappy and it feels really cool of like the 60s era of like um psych pop and psych rock and yep. uh 
just really incredible stuff on there. It kind of, almost to me feels like a, a, a kind of a sister album to the Tear Garden stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, which I really enjoyed. What you you mentioned a few of those bands, but yeah, what was the touchstone for that? Was that part of the sessions for Autumn, or was that kind of like let's put these aside and we'll kind of have them be their own thing. And then once you did that, you had the collection. You're like, let's aim for this. What were the touchstones? You know, we entered COVID mm-hmm. and Billy being, <laughs> being Billy was bored, I think. So he's like, uh, you know, if you want to come up, I've got these songs that I'm going to work on. And he's like, I'm thinking of doing like, kind of like 60 psych, psych pop. I'm like, oh, wow, cool. Cause I love that music. Yeah. So we went up there and um, he had these songs. We just, we started to work on them. We had Jimmy come in. We did things old school way, you know, like a couple of mics straight to tape, you know, record the drums, do, do all the overdubs. So we created, we, we did these, I think we ended up doing 12, maybe maybe a few more than than that yeah. of, of these tracks. And that was that. We were. We were done and he's like, yeah, you know, maybe this is something that we'll put out like in between albums or we'll put it out through Zuzu's or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. it was. And, you know, a few weeks, a few weeks later, he's like, so, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to work on this other record and it's going to be more, you know, it, which became the Autumn record. Yeah. You know, as time as time went on and we're, you know, a year and a half into making Autumn, I think that's when he had the idea of like, what I'll do is I'll package this in with the with the box set make it a super special box set yeah. you know of these of these songs so um that's just kind of how all that came about but I, I think initially it was meant to be two separate things now again i have to default to, to billy's memory on it but, but from what i remember um it was kind of meant to be like we'd release autumn and then like in between tours or something like that as a, as a special thing yeah it'd be like oh by the way Here's this other thing. What was the decision behind making it mono? I know because it, it comes on the 45s and stuff, and of course that's just a great throwback. Billy loves that stuff. I do too, yeah. <laughs> he loves that stuff. I mean, and and uh, it's fun to do that. Yeah. It, it really is because it, it forces your hand into uh, choices. Yeah. You really have to plan out how you put together your music and what you want to be heard yeah. with mono. That's why a lot of those records you know, we, we keep using those, that era as like a touchstone because it's mono or it's kind of, it's not really, it's stereo, but it's like weird, right? It's like yeah. drums off to one side, bass off over here. It's not tradition. It's not stereo how we know it now. It's yeah. odd. Yeah. <laughs> he just loves that stuff. I mean, he's, he's got thousands of records like that and he, he listens to it all the time, all that stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love that he gets to do like the mono releases, like with the Adore reissue, and yeah, um, I think it's great. When I was listening to Autumn, Autumn, kind of on the the mono versus stereo, it's hard when you're hearing these songs on the podcast because of how it gets compressed, and then you miss a lot of the nuance. But then when you have the actual product there, you put your headphones on. I was astonished at all the little bells and whistles like just a little that's one of the things i love about the pumpkins is all the like care and detail that goes into the sonic landscape Mm -hmm. what kind of goes into that i mean like is that like part of the process that it's already there like he has the idea or is that in the process of producing it and mixing it where you're like oh this could probably use like 
very low uh, keyboard no noise here or this sound or this like tone. I would say 90% of it is Billy's already thought about. Mm -hmm. Even if he has, I, it's, it's, it's such a weird process because yeah. it, it, I can't state it enough that working with this band is really, really unlike working with a lot of other bands that I've worked with. We may pull out a keyboard. Oh, let's use it for the, for a bass sound. So, right. we'll, you know, Billy will start playing it for a bass. And, uh, you know, as I'm, I've, I've become famous for, uh, I'll do the frowny face. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Billy will be like, what? And I'll, I'll be like, ah, I, you know, it's, I don't know. We'll pull out another keyboard and we'll find the right bass sound. But, but what ends up happening a lot of the time is Billy will be like, you know what though? This sound that may not be right for the bass, I'm going to use it as a counter for this other, like, and, and he kind of just starts, you know, doing his layering and stuff like that. Yeah. Nothing in the mixes was anything that was created by anybody mixing. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I would say the other 5%, you know, or so would be like, you know, Billy, maybe we need something down low just so that there's, you know, more kind of sub information, or maybe we need some stuff up high and, you know, you leave it up to, to Billy or, you know, the guys and, or, or Katie to kind of figure out, you know, how to, uh, to fill in those spaces, you know, and create kind of the, like you said, the sonic landscape and the kind of the, the beauty that is the pumpkins of like, just this, every song has something in it that like, if you listen to it enough, there's something that you hear and you're like, ah, oh, yeah. Wow, that's cool. It's kind of like little Easter eggs. Every time I listen to it, I hear something new, and that's one of the things I love about the pumpkins. And I, I, I was surprised, you know, because you hear it on the podcast, and you're like, oh, it misses some of the dynamics. But then once you have it, and you're listening to it, and you hear all the dynamics, it's it's incredibly impressive because not many bands take that care. No. And I feel like it's very rewarding to hear these like little Easter eggs and stuff that make the sound. I was surprised at given the nature of the album and some of the electronic elements or that there were some very organic sounding instruments um, mm -hmm. in there, in the mix where you have something that's a little bit more, uh, I guess it's not a derogatory term, but artificial and, you know, straight, straight to board kind of uh effects but then you also have the the floor sound of like you know the amp of the guitar like i'm hearing like little details in the bass or i'm hearing little details right. in like uh, a certain guitar part which right. i really appreciated because i think these days everything gets compressed to hell because of how people listen listen to music so when i'm listening to a pumpkins album with headphones which is the best way to listen to these albums i really appreciate that I can play it from iTunes and still hear these dynamics. So kudos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like, um, I'm just kind of going to be gushing here about, uh, the no, success I mean, of I, this. I, 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 I'm with you on that. I, it's, it's an interesting thing because like, we're about to start another record. Mm -hmm. We started another record as everybody knows, but, but I'm going up there uh, Monday and we're going to start doing some R&D. And it's it's a weird thing because I know I'm in for a couple of months kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, Jesus, I'm in for a couple. Like, it's like, oh, here, <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> yeah. 
but then it's always it's always that thing of like I and I and I say this a lot to people that that I talk to uh, musicians in town it's it's that thing of like man there's so few bands these days that make records this way anymore yeah nothing gets farmed out nothing is hammered to death with autotune we don't have some you know programmer guy coming in and doing whooshes and swoops and you know making it sound like you know all the alternative bands on the radio yeah and what we do have is we have you know a bunch of guys and girls that are arguably at the top of their game that still want to push art you know a three-minute art form forward yeah at least in the context of of the sandbox that they're in mm -hmm. at least i know when i work with this band i'm doing it for the reasons that i originally got into music for yeah which is you know to make music and to make something that hopefully will last past you know a year i think it will i i mean because for me i mean as you know at this point from the fans who all of a sudden are like adores my favorite album when at the time they may not have said that yeah. it the pumpkins music does kind of age like a fine wine in my opinion and what i love about the band is the dynamics that no two albums sound exactly the same and that yeah. they're constantly finding these other avenues and to me i've described it as like when you go to a diner you know and they've had all these foods there instead of like just going to a burger and fries place because now you're like right. oh my god i'm overwhelmed with all my choices here um right. and that's the way the band the band feels to me is that i i love that it has music that can fit any mood and that they uh that billy pushes to do something different and that he has someone like you to give the frowny face to kind of help <laughs> move these ideas forward what makes a good studio in your opinion what you like like what is it for you that you find because i'm sure that you've seen a lot of studios uh you've been in a lot of worked in a lot of studios so for you what is it that you look for in a studio maybe even partic in particular for the pumpkins because uh, I know you recorded in Nashville, correct? Yeah, the last couple of things we've done, we've done in, in Nashville, mm -hmm. uh, specifically at Blackbird, which is world-class, fantastic. Uh, John McBride, the owners, it's named after Black Beatles, yeah. after Blackbird, uh, but just the array of microphones, the, the outboard gear, like the studio sound itself is something that I really like. It, and the particular room that I like, it reminds me a lot. There's a room in LA. Um, I think it's cello or is it East West? I can't remember. I always forget, but it's, it's studio two. It used to be Jim Scott's room. Okay. And um, it's kind of like this fast kind of bright seventies kind of dead, but not too dead room. And it kind of fits perfectly for Jimmy's drums mm -hmm. basically it's 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 what i like in terms of drums they're they're it's fast it's a little on the bright side but um it's it's dry as well mm -hmm. which i really like that's generally the first thing is like you know gear is the band going to be comfortable the second most important thing in my opinion is who who is the second engineer oh and that's a huge part of the studio experience and again I, you know i think that's that's why I hope that's part of the reason why I'm where I'm at because I was, I was a really, really good second. Mm -hmm. And the guys that I like to work with and the girls that I work, like to work with, they're all kind of like me. They're kind of like, just make sure, you know, I don't have to do anything. 
Yeah. That's how that's how I was. It was like make sure that the engineer doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> Lowell, like, can you plug in the 57? Oh, it's done. You know. Yeah. Uh, oh, great. Okay. You know, it's like it's one of those things. Like, I could leave the I could you know drop drop dead, and Lowell could just take over, and nobody would notice. <laughs> and that's kind of like what you want. Yeah. Well, on the subject of what makes a good studio, what's the best one that you've been in? It doesn't even have to be worked in, but like visited. Real world. Yeah. Bath. Yeah. Peter Gabriel's places. Oh man. Yeah. It's <laughs> insane. Holy it's shit. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. It's so conducive to making music. It's, but also you're in the, you're in, I don't know if you're familiar with England, you're in, you're in Bath and it's, you step outside. It's, it's like all those English countryside pictures that you've ever yeah. seen. It's just unbelievably gorgeous. Again, I, I love Sunset Sound. I can't remember if it's called Cello or East West. I think it's East West. Yes, Where it's is East that West. Located? That's in LA. So okay. Sunset Sound, East West, The Village, Blackbird, Sound Emporium. Uh, those last two are both in Nashville. Okay. Great, great, great studios here in Nashville. I love that. When you say Peter Gabriel's uh, recording studio, I just imagine its own ecosystem. Yeah, it kind of feels it kind of feels like that. Like it's like Brian Wilson during Pet Sounds or something, you know, <laughs> like I, I had that imagination and that it's got a rainforest in there for some reason. Um, what what's the album that you're most proud that you worked on ever or pumpkin wise ever ever? Well, I would say the it was my first production, which would be the first OK Go record that I did. I can't remember your face. I spent an, in, an inordinate amount of time making it. Um, I worked 15, 18 hours a day, six days a week. And I love the record. I love the songs. I love, I loved working with those guys. Yeah, it would be that record. So of course you're going to be spending that much time because it's like your first that you have to kind of do all these things. Mm -hmm. Did you find that like these processes, the time period gets shorter and shorter just because you've, you've gotten used to the things that work and don't work? Cause a lot of it I'm sure is like trial and error. So when you get to your next one, how did that help with uh, your next album that you did? I think what, what ends up happening is you, in the beginning stages of your career, you try a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And then as you, you go along, you, you know, you start to weed out the things that you like, but you also realize, okay, I can do this, this part of it now faster. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, like, like the, again, the OK Go record's a perfect example. I, a good amount of the guitars, I had three amps set up for kind of like, low, mid, high, and I would adjust the amps and, you know, blend it all down to make a guitar sound. Yeah. I found that, you know, depending on the record, of course, this is all record dependent or song dependent, but like I could either do it with two amps or if I had the right amp, I could do it with one amp. Mm -hmm. You know, I so like I, you could just figure out faster ways of, of doing things or, you know, same thing with miking. It's like, I definitely have a certain way that I like to mic a guitar cabinet say that doesn't mean that i won't try other things it's just this works i know this works mm -hmm. so you know you can move faster through things that's really the only the only difference in terms of like the engineering side of it the production side of it it's always different because okay go was kind of power pop in the sweet 
clean, cheap trick vein. Right. Right. But the next thing I did, which was this band called, it was called Borealis. hip-hop rock band but with kind of pop songs uh-huh. i had to figure out other ways through to make make it authentic an authentic experience for them yeah but also get uh what the label was expecting right because there's those expectations yeah right do you find that that's frustrating i mean i, I work in the entertainment industry and i know what it's like to get notes from a million people or especially from a network or a studio where it can feel like it can tamper the artistic process or you're like are you just giving this note because you want to give a note and you want to seem like <laughs> this is why i get paid the money i get paid you know what right does that ever kind of uh have you ever had an instance where that kind of gets in the way of what you want to do or for the artist too do you have to actually play the middleman between that to to deliver that news yeah absolutely um the pumpkins camp is lucky that Nobody tells Billy what to do. Right. So, now, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so there is that. Um, but for, for other bands, you know, it, uh, again, I look at it in a very kind of Buddhist way of like, you signed up for this. Yeah. Right? Oh, everybody did. Like, the artist signed up for this. The engineer, if it's me, the, the producer, you signed up for this. To get kind of pissed off or to get upset because the guy that's paying the bills wants something or wants you to try something is kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Sometimes an inexperienced suggestion is actually the correct suggestion. A broken clock, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, yeah. not always and more than likely not. Yeah. But like, I'll, I'll try that stuff. Yeah. And I'll like, I had an artist, I was A&R at the time. There was this one particular song that the president was really crazy on. And, he, you know, he wanted it right. He wanted it right. We had an A-level producer producing this record. So go in and, it, okay, do this. That's, you know, bring it back. That's not right. We do it again. No, it's still not right. Okay, this is what he's looking for. You know, and by this time, everybody's getting frustrated. Um, but the label head's just kind of like, no, just keep doing it till... It's what it. I want, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so finally, we're in the A&R meeting, and I start. I, I play the most recent version, and, and he, he goes, "You haven't done. You, you haven't done anything I've asked for." And I said, "I, I can't say his name, but I said, yeah. that, that's in, that's not right. I have seven versions of this song." And he's he looked at me and said, "You're lying." And I said, <laughs> "Hold on." And I went back to my office, and I and I put in the next one. And then I put in the third one. And after that, he's like, okay, okay. Yeah, you're, okay, you've, you've done it. You just have to do what these people want, Yeah, I feel. It doesn't mean that it's right, but it does. it's how we get paid. Yeah, it's a job, yeah. You know, I, I, a lot of the thing that I, I used to struggle with, and, and I have a friend here in town that we've talked about this, is like, look, you do the things that get you paid so that you could do the things 
that you that you love yeah right yeah so like whatever that whatever that is for you if it's like if it's like musical theater for you you know if that's the thing you love and you're not really making money at it but you want to do that you go you go take the burger king commercial right right yeah you get paid by that and you go do the whatever the musical theater for me i go do these things and i give it my best and i give it my all but then that enables me to say to katie hey let's go make a record and oh you know don't worry about paying me right you know or whatever it is yeah. you know and, and not just katie but other artists it's just kind of like that way my mind stays sane yeah kind of thing you know sorry long-winded way no i i mean because i'm always interested with that just because of i find that in pretty much every profession when you get you know some kind of feedback from the top you know there are different ways of dealing with it sometimes you go you nod and you go great i'll do that and you don't do it and they don't notice or my favorite is whenever you get a note a writing note uh from a studio or uh or a, yeah a studio or a head or any somebody and you go okay i'll write it because you know what the reaction is going to be when it's like they see it back and they're like oh okay but they right. don't say it wrong they're just like yeah, just change that uh <laughs> Right. Well, it's, yeah. it's kind of like, weirdly, it's kind of like, you know, I mentioned the, the mixer thing. It's kind of like, well, who's going to mix the record? And it's like, it's always, you know, two or three people. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just going to go to those, you know, and, and I have tons of friends that are like, just lose their mind about it. And it's like, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can you know, only do so much. You yeah. can only do so much. You know, yeah. if, if you want to say, hey, let, give me a shot. Let me mix it for free and you want to take the time and do that, then then do that. And then right. if they like it and they want to pay you instead of paying the other person, that's great. But a lot of us don't have that time to, you know, just take on 10, 15 songs and just mix it for free in the hopes that they like it. Yeah. For a standard album, how long does that take to, to mix? Like if you have a like standard 10 to 12 songs? Depending on who you are. I mean, mm. there's there's certain people that brag that they can do three songs in a day or whatever mm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, I would say a day a song. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially yeah. if it's, and, and I'm not patting myself on the back or whatever it is, <laughs> but it's like if it's recorded by someone like me, yeah. you know you're not getting like something that was recorded by someone that doesn't necessarily have the skill that I have. Right. If, if that makes sense. You know that it's going to be concise. Things are going to be labeled. This is this. This is that. This right. is the arrangement. Boom. You can go. It's not like, well, <laughs> I have, you know, seven, seven uh, guitar mics on the guitar, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I've got to blend this thing myself. Right. You know, it's like, you know, it's that kind of thing. It sounds like tedious work. So you absolutely have to love it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I yeah. can't. I mean, I know just from editing this podcast where it's just like. I spend days just on just putting it together and I'm like, holy shit. But it's like, I wouldn't do it if I didn't like it, you know, to Absolutely, some degree, or yeah. if I didn't care about the product that yeah. comes out of it. Uh, we had mentioned like your favorite album that you worked on overall, but what would you say you're probably proudest of when it comes to the pumpkins? Man, it's so, it's, that's so difficult. I have to say, you know, I, I have kind of, like I love Sear. Mm -hmm. I really love that record. Yeah. Um, and I love, love Hidden Sun.
Right, yes, that's a great, that's one of my favorites from the album, yeah. I love that song because, and, you know, to give Billy his due, it's like he, it's that thing of like, you know, those 80 songs where it wasn't the, it wasn't the single on the record, but it's always like the song you would go to and you're like, that's, that's an effing single. Like yeah. that's the best song on the record. And he pulled that off with that particular song, especially with, with, with that one. But I mean, Machina 2 was a lot of fun to make mm -hmm. when we did that. Because we did that, I think, in two weeks. Oh, wow. You know, all that work. Yeah. Um, Machina, I, Machina itself was great because I got to be with, I got to be with Flood for a year. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah, legend, yeah. Alan Mulder's mixing the rap. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I, I got to work with, literally, I had, <laughs> I had like five people that I wanted to work with in the business. And through the pumpkins, I worked with two of them. Oh, wow. You know, kind of thing. So. I like everything I've ever worked on with Billy. I, 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 I'm really proud of this last bit. I think ego-wise, you know, I, I look at it in, in, in terms of like, I'm really, I really like it because other people like it. Mm -hmm. he, he wrote really good songs. He, he put a lot into it. Billy sacrificed a lot, the band sacrificed a lot, and uh, did something that, you know, I don't think a lot of bands going into what how many years is it now 30 years yeah 30 plus do. yeah well, who were the i'm gonna i'm gonna just because it it kind of piqued my interest who are the other people you wanted to work with that you didn't get to <laughs> i'm trying now i'm trying to remember one of them was chad blake who, okay. who i did end up working with yeah mutt lang haven't had the opportunity right yes oh my god mutt i was just talking about mutt lang with my wife the other night, just mentioning the production sound and everything. It's, just it's, like, Billy and I talk about it. Uh, I mean, it, and it's not specific to Mutt. It's more about the records, yeah. obviously, that he's done. It's like, you know, you listen, like, you think about the cars, and they had, oh. obviously, RTB did those, those big, giant records. And then there's that one record with Mutt. It's just kind of yeah. like, what the heck? Yeah. You know? It's... It's the same thing. It's like Def Leppard. It's like, oh. what the heck? Man? Yeah, the Def Leppard stuff just like continuously just like I, I will listen to it today and just be like, how in that time period too, just like it just blows my mind. It's mind boggling. And, and it's to me, I listen to that stuff. I'll listen to that stuff now and be like, man, I'm still hearing stuff that I didn't. Yeah, there. it's incredible. It's I crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to me. You know, his, his work on sh the Shania Twain stuff. I mean, the, the fact that he wrote for Backstreet Boys and, he, mm -hmm. you know, just, it's just, it's it's crazy. But then he's done records that, like, you're kind of like, meh. So, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with with certain producers. Obviously, he, the, the big component with someone like Mutt is if he's writing this stuff as well. I mm. think that's a huge part of it because I think not the ACDC stuff, but definitely the Def Leppard stuff and obviously the Shania type stuff. Yeah. He was co-writer, I think, on all that stuff. Why, why didn't I know that? That's so interesting. Yeah, he he, he co-wrote a lot of that stuff. Wow, that's awesome. I I mean, yeah, those those records I, I always go back to just because it's such an audio treat, you know. I'm yeah. very big on listening to music with headphones. I'm probably uh, going deaf, uh, definitely, from all the concerts and doing that. But I like to listen to it loud. I like to focus on it and just close my eyes and hear all that, you know, that's Nothing going better. on. 
Yeah, it's great. Nothing better. We have some questions from listeners, if you don't mind answering some of these. Matthew Lockwood asks, what is your favorite part about working with the pumpkins? In terms of the the sandbox we're playing in, uh, there's no stone unturned. Yeah. We just try everything. We really do. There's songs like, I think it was To the Grays. Mm. I think we did that like six different ways. Literally. Yeah. Like literally. And then Billy came in one one day and was like, we haven't tried. There's this band, Noi. Yeah. I know a little bit of Krautrock, but I don't really, it's not my thing. And he's like, well, it's kind of Krautrock. And he played, played me some songs. I'm like, oh. As we do a lot of times, it's like, let's let's give it three hours mm-hmm. and see where we land. And then we spend six hours. <laughs> and then, you know, and then we, we kind of land and it's like, oh, okay, so this feels new or this feels fresh. Yeah. That's my favorite part about it. It's not like someone comes in with a song and, okay, uh, just, uh, it's a verse pre-chorus, chorus, you know, it's, that's what I wrote. Can we change it? Well, we could, you know, you could change a little bit of this, a little bit of that. There's none of that with this band. This band's like, you know what? If that's not working, rip that thing up, tear it apart. If that part's better in this song to move it over to this song, let's do that. Because it's all about making the greatest piece of art possible. That's amazing. Yeah. I meant to mention this earlier. One of the songs that stood out to me on Zodion was uh, Magdalena. that track it's such a a, it's a very good track and it's one of those things that harkens back to like when i would listen to pisces iscariot and be like what the fuck these are the (laughs) b-sides like you're like what i know so like listening to zodion there's a couple of tracks on there that really stand out to me where i'm like this is the extra album and like magdalena was such a song that just kind of and i'm sure i'm probably um not doing any favors for the song, being like, I love this song, it's so good, because I don't want him to be like, eh, let's let's uh, put that one to the side and maybe not spotlight it, but um, I, I, I worry about that. I don't want it to have that kind of treatment, but it, it's really incredible. Like, uh, when you, it, it feels like the best of what your touchstones were uh, for, for reference for that project and the pumpkins right like a a great marriage of those two things right right and that you know that's the thing for just so you know so for people who haven't heard this stuff yet it's it's definitely very 60s based yeah through the lens of obviously the pumpkins right to me and i've said this to billy i i actually think it's quite possibly his best songwriting he's done Mm -hmm. it's really cool i think the songs are top notch songs yeah whether you like the how we ended up producing them or you know what we were going for that's one thing but just from a song standpoint they're really great songs super super catchy yeah super catchy songs like all of them they're all super catchy and there's a couple of songs i know that have been held back that like he was like i don't know if these fit but 
like I think maybe some of my favorites. Yeah. So they're just really, really good songs. Is there a plan to? I know he mentioned something about a stereo uh, mix or release, maybe at some point in the the next year or two or whatever. Or he, I guess you're still deciding that. Um, yeah, is that a possibility, or is that just that's all Billy's? I stay out of all of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds that's, good. That's not my purview. Right. It's not my contract. Well, we were talking about touchstones. Uh, you you mentioned um, like Noi. Were there when we had talked to Katie last time or Sierra? Uh, this was before the album came out and they were a little hesitant to say like, oh, these were kind of some of the reference points. And as something we've, you just said something that we said a lot on the podcast of that, what we love about the band is that they can take the influences and put it through the pumpkin lens, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's filtered through that pumpkin filter where it's still their own, but still kind of, it, it feels like, oh, this feels like Black Celebration era Depeche Mode, or this feels right. like, you know, uh, pornography era cure. So right. what were some of the touchstones? If you're, if you're willing to share, what were some of the touchstones for autumn? Sure. Um, you actually mentioned two of them. I mm. mean, definitely some, it, it's really, it's not that it's hard to say because it's like, there'll be like a little keyboard part in like a heavy rock song that, you know, is obviously kind of Sabbathy and it'll be yeah. like, what about this kind of like cool Depeche Mode? So you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. It's not like we're sitting there. Oh, let's let's start referencing Depeche Mode. It's kind of like for Billy, it has to ha- come from a place of integrity with with where it's coming from. So like, th- there can't be. I, I really don't know how to put it, but like the references have to have to be of like a a certain standard. So like, Peter Gabriel is obviously a reference right. for this band. It's- Here, they referenced um, the drummer for Yes, early Yes records. Like sonically, that was a reference. saying without you saying well what about this song mm-hmm. you know what i mean right well like say like for instance like um when i'm well kind of to go to sear like when i'm hearing a song like adrenaline I'm hearing like wax tracks type of, you know, influence there. (laughs) Which is is actually what was, you know, it was brought up as a reference, you know, and and that those types of things that, you know, made Billy feel, uh, he viscerally felt. Yeah. 
it doesn't always have to be about the actual sonic of it. It's about how does it make you feel? Feel, yeah, it's the vibe. Right? Yeah. It's easy to sit there and go, oh, this sounds like this or this sounds like that, but but how does it make you feel? Mm -hmm. That's that's really kind of the magic of it. You know, it's like, is it moving you in a certain way? Or is it, move, is it like, does it make it too, too much of a thing? Like, is like, right. can it, can you go to Depeche Mode? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, can you, can you go to whatever? And, and then, then it becomes, well, are you, then you're just doing kind of something that's throwbacky and retro and it's yeah. not even your own. It's, it's someone else's. Yeah. Well, cause you had mentioned yes. And uh -huh. on autumn, I hear quite a bit of like in certain tracks that are a little bit more proggy or conceptual, you hear a lot of like, yes, or even like, you know, mid era Genesis too. Yeah, I don't know if Genesis is ever, has ever been referenced in anything we've done. Um, mm -hmm. Jimmy doesn't necessarily talk about like where he's pulling things from mm -hmm. a lot. A lot of that is, is, uh, is Billy. And, and me sitting in a studio of like, well, what, what is the path that this should go down? You know, should, you know, should this be kind of like, like you said, like cure-esque or should this kind of, you know, should the undercarriage be kind of Def Leppardy, but not Imagine Dragons, but should it have kind of like this- Yeah, bombastic. Giant half-timey kind of bombastic kind of thing going on. Yeah. That's kind of how we end up referencing things a lot of times. Yeah. I love it because I can hear these little like influences, but it never feels like it's aping or if it's just kind of recreating. It just always That's feels super, super hard to do. Yeah, it's yeah. super hard to do, especially with distinctive sounds like The Cure or Depeche Mode. It's, it's inevitable that it's like you're always going to associate because they made it. They put it on the map, you know, exactly. And then and then, of course, Billy being Billy. He actually has whatever the keyboard was that made that sound. Right, has, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. He has all that stuff. Right. It's like, oh, well, oh, this is the blah, blah, blah. This yeah. is the CS80 that, you know, was used on the, you know, whatever. It's like, well, yeah. Dave okay. Gahan just shipped this over to me. Thanks, <laughs> exactly. Dave. You know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's that uh, kind of thing. And it, I say Dave, even though Dave doesn't play, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, Martin no, no, Gore. I, know, I yeah. know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, it, 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 and again, this is, this is why, uh, people love listening to this band because you know i'll do sessions and i'll say hey you know i'm thinking can we do this kind of like depeche mode kind of this little bell sound blah 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 and and people will look at me and be like you know kind of like on this song you play in this song and then what do they do they just play they do it they they do you know they ape that riff or mm -hmm. you know interpolate it just a bit differently and you're like that's not really what i want i want the idea of it yeah that's why there's so much work that goes into these records because it's not it's not just a oh boom it's not it's not a it's it's not a preset yeah it's not a, there's not a billy corgan preset of like <laughs> right boom. it's not a plug-in yeah it, yeah there's not a plug-in that just does that it's like it's it's r d it's a lot of r d a lot that's amazing lot. and it, and it's and it's a again it's it's there's no fear from anybody in this band of like being three months into the project and your part's not working or hey you know what jimmy <laughs> your drum track's not working now we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have to rearrange this whole drum track and you know put it together this way yeah and jimmy would be like great you know yeah whatever works for the song you yeah know? 
This next question comes from Anthony Basilio. How was the recording pro- How has the recording process changed with the Pumpkin since the Adore days? It, it hasn't. <laughs> wow. It hasn't. It. I mean, no, it, it just hasn't. I mean, it, it's the same, the same amount of work. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's the same concept. It's it's always how are we not going to repeat ourselves? Mm-hmm. How are we going to do it better? How are we going to do it different? Yeah. I see this band doing this over here, but why, why would I do that? They're already doing that. What's, mm-hmm. There's there's no upside for, and when I say me, you know, the band, they, yeah. they're saying there's no upside for us to do it this way, because there's already those people doing it over there. We don't want we want to be an island unto ourselves. Yeah, and I think that's it's been very successful. Yeah, <laughs> and it's been a very successful thing. Yeah. Uh, Michael Pasalia says, uh, I'd love to know how challenging it was with Jeff and James both working remotely. Was it hard not to have them in the studio? Yes. Yeah. I think because, you know, it's like any kind of uh, artistic endeavor, human feedback needs kind of like the face to face Mm -hmm. thing. And it's, it's harder to say to somebody after they've laid down a part and you get back to them a day later or two days later on that part of, um, well, I, can you do this or can you do that? It's like, well, I, I already did the part. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying that this is what happened, but it's like it, it just becomes they're, they've already mentally moved on. Right. And it's like, well, OK, now I got to pull up this sound again or, you know, mm-hmm. and I, again, I'm not saying that anybody complained. I, it's just I think if 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 you have people in the studio with you, it's like, hey, can you can you just come upstairs and just listen to this part? I've got this right. part. No, that's not really working. And, and, and again, you know, intent wise, that's not really what I'm looking for. Or maybe you could try it this way, or that's a great line, but let's put it on, let's put it on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So pull out whatever the Selena and, and try it over, over there, or tr- you know, whatever it is. Yeah. That's the hardest part about that. And was that, was that for the uh, process of, ser- cause I'm trying to think of the timeline for this. Was that mostly during uh, autumn? Well, part of it was Seer. Yeah. Jeff was still in town at the time when we were making Seer. Okay. But uh, autumn, autumn was done that everything was done remotely with uh, James and Jeff and well, not Katie, but Katie's initial kind of like yeah. working out of parts. Yeah. Track Fade asks, we've heard Billy talk about the evolution of a song from demo to album version. I'd also love to get Howard's take on that process to better understand from his vantage point how sonic or lyrical elements inform the evolution of an SP track in studio. (laughs) Wow. It's different for certain songs. Like a song like, um, if I remember correctly, a song like Springtime, Mm -hmm. he came in and basically it was... I, I, I think it was two halves, but he basically had the two halves. Yeah. So, you know, it was like a fully formed idea. Um, but then there's like the kind of riff songs or the, you know, the, the more rock songs where he may have the genesis of like kind of the, like an idea. We'll basically put up a drum machine and he'll, he'll put in a little whatever beat a beat is. And then we'll play it. Yeah. He'll play, he'll play the riff, you know, for like eight, 10 minutes. <laughs> Obviously he's working out the nuance of like yeah. what he wants to, what, what he wants to do. And, you know, a, a part of it for Billy in terms, I believe in terms of the songwriters, he's got to go, he's got to go through the whole evolution of it. It's not just a, I got the verse, 
you know, he he needs like kind of to to work through what I'd say is let's call it a song. Mm-hmm. It, it, now this may not be the song, but he'll he'll get it to whatever four minutes, and he'll have okay. I kind of have like an idea of what the what the verse is and what a pre-chorus is and what a back chorus is and what the chorus is and maybe a bridge. So I'll have all these kind of ideas. Yeah. And then then it becomes okay, so now I have these ideas. What's the best way to arrange it so that like empires or something like that where right. you you know you start off on this riff. It's like how do you get off that riff? Right? How do yeah. you get off of it and but keep it keep elevating 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 and then once you've gotten to the top how do you come back down right so that the bottom doesn't fall out and reset so again speaking primarily about the rock songs that's where a lot of time goes it's like how do you how do you get from whatever the initial intro or beginning of the song is to making it so that uh, the song doesn't get flattened out right Right. Because yeah. we've all heard songs where it's like, you know, you, it's, oh man, the song's great. The song's great. And then the chorus comes in. You're like, okay. Chorus yeah. is okay. It I mean, deflates it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great, but it's not awful. It's just like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. And Billy will play with like, well, how do I come off of this? Or great. So this is, this is my chorus, but maybe it's not the right chorus. Or maybe I move it now to the back part and I write a new part to go in front of it. Yeah. So that, you know, things keep moving and moving and grooving. That there's actually a path that it goes on as opposed to kind of being a mishmash of ideas. It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Got yeah. it. So that's kind of, that's kind of like the, how the songwriting part of it evolves as far as like the, how we build the track up from there. It's like, once we get kind of like the basic thing together, we'll do the normal stuff. Like it's, you know, it's fake, fake drum machine, but it's right. do some guitar, do, do some bass. Billy will sketch out a, uh, a vocal idea, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a melodic idea, more than likely, and then it's um, it's up to Jimmy to bring to bring <laughs> the to bring, bring the magic. Heat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is a magician, man. What a he is. What a phenomenal musician and drummer. Just uh, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm so lucky that I get to record that guy. I bet it's 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 amazing. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing that he will go out there and play 30, 40 takes of a song and just not complain. Yeah. He just won't complain. He just wow. does it. He, yeah. You know, and, and you know, some of these songs, it's not like, no, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not two and four. It's like, yeah. And I don't know how he remembers it. It's crazy. I think it's what adds to the dimension of the pumpkins. Like it really does like fill it out. Like it's just 100%. such a, it's, it's such a huge part of the, the sound. I, I don't think people understand like what goes into, it's kind of like from my perspective of like the industry I'm in, you'll, you'll, uh, somebody will hire you to direct something and they're like, make it look like the matrix. And you're like, uh, <laughs> do you have that budget? You know, like you yeah, can't. Exactly. So I think people don't understand that 
what is that difference between say like when they're with uh you know virgin or you know a, a giant label as opposed to like it's being completely self-funded right now so like what what goes like i don't think people understand that can you explain what that difference is well even if it's on a big label it can sound like it's it's all done <laughs> in somebody's bedroom right and yeah. then quite honestly a lot of it uh is still it's it's done that way like good number of tracks that i've done here in nashville for for country artists it's like send the track to la let somebody in their home studio put their drums on it and yeah. then come back here put some bass you know blah, blah blah and then have you know have somebody mix it you know back in the day you would just have people that put the ten thousand hours in right that yeah. did did the time on their instruments that were just ridiculous 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 musicians and, and I'm not like uh, not even just talking about just bands, but I'm talking about like if you're talking about Motown or Stax or any of those things, you, you had session session musicians who played on everybody's music, and so 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 not only did they play on everybody's music, but they all played together. Right. It's like the, um, the Wrecking Crew. Oh, uh, I love. You know, yes, right? yes. That documentary and that book, incredible. Incredible, or the funk the Funk Brothers, and right. you know stuff like that. It's like. You have these groups of people and like the wrecking crew was it was actually quite big i mean there were core members but there was yeah i think there were like 20 plus people that were all considered part of the wrecking crew but yeah. they all played together there weren't as many studios back in those days right so you you'd have capital records or you'd have united western and you know some of these places and um you'd have limited gear limited mics and we've all seen the pictures. It's like, yeah. you know, everybody's kind of put up on, you know, if you're doing a Phil Spector session, you'd have 20 guys jammed into a room that's probably <laughs> 10 feet big. Right. You know, mic'd yeah. with like four or five microphones and they'd get those giant sounds. And, you know, that slowly evolved into we're going to kind of, as, as all technology does, you know, you, you have the ability to start recording things and separating things out. And now we're at a point where you and I aren't even in the same room having a conversation, but we're looking at each other. And right. This will be edited together in such a way that it'll sound like we were like literally sitting on a couch, you know, mm -hmm. talking to each other. It's become a bit sterile mm -hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Because again, you don't get to have the instantaneous kind of like reaction of like, holy shit. That's that what you just did that, that fuck up you just did. That's amazing. Right. So let's, let's take that and use that in our track. You don't get those anymore. Yeah. And think about the other thing you need to think about is like when bands used to go in, you know, a, a, a small project or a short project would be two weeks. Mm -hmm. So imagine, you know, you're in the studio for 14 days or 12 days with, with a band, but then you'd have like the DAT machine or the cassette running the entire session, right? So like some jam would start happening and it's like, okay, well, roll tape and you get these kind of all this, you know, B material right? to go along with it. It's kind of like, you know, if you ever watch, there's, there's a great documentary about YouTube uh, from the sky down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And I'm probably mixing a bit of it up in my head, but there's this one point where like they start talking about the song one. Basically, that song came out of another song where they were just jamming for like hours on this one thing. And they kept they would get to this one part and it only happened like one time in the whole song. And Eno was like, we should take that and turn that into a song. 
amazing yeah. kind of thing, right? And they did, you know. And yeah. those are the things that you lose now because it's like, you know, you have three guys uh, and AI creating your yeah. uh, your your track now. It also, I think people don't realize too, just a com like your everyday listener probably doesn't realize the difference, the sound quality difference too, between analog and digital and how expensive analog, like, and how rare to yeah. be able to record an analog is now, yeah. you know? I think off the top of my head, I'm like, Dave Grohl's studio? <laughs> like, I don't even yeah. know, like, and even that, you know, like, even with that, it still doesn't have the same feel or warmth as it did in you know the 90s or whatever yeah yeah no yeah. you're 100 you're 100 right but well that's also because we've all become accustomed to the the digital nature of things right because everything is streamed and everything is kind of everything compressed streamed, it's, it's easier it's com it's compressed like we get you know you these days you you have tons of transients in your music yeah whereas you didn't before like drums were kind of all lopped off and I hate to say it, I prefer it now because of what I put in, I get it back. Right. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I like about it. Yeah. You know, the tape thing was always kinda like, ah, oh I'm going too hard to tape or I'm not going hard enough kind of thing to tape. But, yeah. That also is uh the editing process for analog was also just Oh my god. An absolute nightmare. <laughs> we used to shave beats to put drummers in time. And if anybody just look up shaving beats or, or window yeah. edits for, for analog <laughs> tape. It's, it was hellacious. One question I had was uh, the, the single Spellbinding, there was a production element on it that I noticed where it almost felt like it's kind of like this, it's kind of clipping the time a bit in that uh, verse. I, I, I don't know if it's a, a audio, audio, as they say, audio illusion or what, but there's something about the the way that it's paced that feels so interesting to me and then it hits the chorus and it opens up so wide. It's the verse is in 5-4. Okay. And then, and then the chorus hits and it goes to 4-4. Four, four. Got it. So it's totally like you... Even Jimmy had, and he'll admit to this, it, it totally effed with his mind when he was playing it because <laughs> it, it's such a weird thing to, yeah. you know, it, just the pace of it is really bizarre. And then that's why that song works as well as it does because yeah. it's like you get this enormous release when you hit the uh, the chorus, of 4-4 four, four chorus. I just remember hearing that for the first time and being like, this is so cool to have this kind of like pacing and yeah. then have it just open up so wide. It just, again, it, it adds to the cinematic aspect of the album. Yeah. Um, I just, that's one of my favorites from the, the album. So what I wanted to know as, and I do think of you as a creative because your input does have a lot to do with the final product. What does it feel like to put something you've worked out into the world? Is there a sense of, pride any sort of reflection or is it just relief it's done and then on to the next one it's a it's a bit of all those things i feel it's um it's obviously for me at least it's artist dependent again with the pumpkins there's so much time that goes into making an album that you know it's it's basically like you're hanging out with your family and you're you, you know, you're creating this universe, you're, you're creating this thing. 
So when it when it gets out and people like it and it's accepted and you know there's there's feedback, good or bad, um, you know there is this kind of like we did it, we set out to do what we wanted to do. You know we're obviously proud. You had mentioned even when you were describing like the feeling of putting stuff out of like you mentioned limitations. And what are some of the limitations that you have to face now that maybe you didn't have to face in the 90s or the 2000s as the music business progresses and recording different technologies come out, different uh, methods come out? What are some of the setbacks or restrictions that you kind of have to work around to make the best product? This would be outside of the pumpkin world, this, to to be honest with you, because again, when you're working with bands of this caliber there's kind of there's no time limits and there's i don't like to say there's no budget but you don't have the budgetary concern of like a label saying here's x amount of dollars fifty thousand dollars whatever it is right um you know because at the end of the day it's things get done yeah in, in this camp the biggest thing at least for me is that again it's the amount of time that gets spent on records back when i had started in really up until I would say early 2000s, maybe mid 2000s, you know, you would spend minimum a couple, three weeks making a record. Um, You may even spend more time than that. And slowly something started to happen where the mixer became more important than really the the producer or even the, the, the people recording it or anything like that. Yeah. So, so in an in a effort to save money, because these, these guys were taking tracks that basically sounded like garbage, that, you know, people were kind of like, you know, because we, we had digital, like Pro Tools and all of that stuff yeah. was, was coming into the, into the public view. So you had people that would go out and purchase this stuff and a couple of mics and they'd go do these things, you know, make these records. They'd come in sounding like garbage. So be like, well, let's get so-and-so to mix it. So-and-so would mix it and you'd be like, Wow, that sounds that sounds great. Yeah. Slowly, you know, you started to see your budget. Say, so, say you had a hundred twenty thousand dollar record budget. All of a sudden, you might as well just put aside a third of that for someone to mix it. Okay. Right. Yeah. That to me has been the the biggest change. Also, that like bands don't really ever. It's not necessarily a band thing anymore to come into a studio, sit there for a couple of weeks, work out some tracks you know, play guitars. It's like, come in, cut the drums and bass the first day. Maybe you get two days. Um, Hopefully you get some guitars in there as well, some tracking guitars. You spend a day, maybe two days on guitars, and uh, then you do all your vocals at the end and uh, send it off to the mixer. And, you know, that still costs whatever it costs, but um, you're not sitting there trying to necessarily pull things apart you know, and, and make it different. That's another thing that's been lost is a lot of pre-production Yeah, has been taken away because there's no imagination anymore from a lot of the people in the A&R side of things. They just kind of right. get these, you know, they get these worked up demos and it's like, it's hard to argue with something that sounds finished. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard. It's, you know, I imagine it's, you know, on your side of things, it's like really hard to argue with someone that's super skilled at editing and they've taken like this thing that somebody's put together and chopped it all together. And you're like, well, it works. Yeah. You know, but 
doesn't that doesn't always mean that it's the best version of it but it yeah. you know it's just it sounds like now or it looks like now so let's just put it out yeah. and get it over with and that's that's kind of the biggest the biggest change that I I've had to deal with because you you knew that like you 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 get on these sessions and it'd be a couple of weeks of like you knew you'd be in the trenches with somebody mm mm-hmm. mhm and and that's kind of gone these days. I think it's kind of like a double-edged sword what I've noticed it's like it's great that there are no like kind of gatekeepers for kids who are creative and just want to jump on their computer and write an album and put it out and it gets a million streams on uh, Spotify. However, the industry as as the industry any industry does, uh, they see that as a way to cut corners and being like, well, yeah. uh, this uh, legacy band or beyonce can sound like this too so let's uh if that's if we could do this for you know pennies on the dollar as opposed to spending massive budgets and i get to keep a fat stack for me the ceo of whatever record label then great you know yeah it feels like it's one of those things where it's like isn't this great you know but then also you're like oh but it's changed things it it put the wrong idea into the wrong people's heads sure yeah no you're (laughs) absolutely right you know, and then the other side of, of all of that, the other fallout, at least in terms of, you know, the label stuff is you don't, nobody sticks with uh, an artist. So like, yeah. you know, Pink Floyd or any of these classic bands, you know, they they would have like a record or two or three or four yeah. that didn't do anything, you know, and then they have their giant success and they become these, these huge bands. Yeah. And now it's just, you know. You have to hit immediately. Yeah, you have to hit immediately. You have to pay to get on tours. You know, every everything's owned by, you know, Live Nation or it's owned yeah. by this or it's owned by that. And it's like you got to buy on or you got to know. It's like there's a bit of, I don't know, you know, some of the some of the deals that were made back in the days, you know, <laughs> right. it's, maybe it's more romantic. I, you know, I, I think it's more romantic than it was. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. But, well, you know, it would if uh, excluding like something like Barry Gordy or somebody like that who's just kind of taking advantage of the artist. But yeah, I, I I know what you mean about as far as being like we'll give you uh, the four album deal, and those first three albums don't really do that well. But they're like, well, you're we're working on it, we're cultivating it. Yeah. You know, it's starting small clubs, and then eventually they have their stadium album, and then yeah. they're like, great, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe it wasn't that way. Maybe that's from my outside, but uh, outside perspective. But it did feel like, even I mean, I feel like there was that sea change in the mid '90s where it did feel like, after the you know melancholy era, it felt like you had a lot of um, like kind of these alternative one hit. I hate that term, one hit wonder. Sure. But uh, I can't remember his name. But the drummer from Semisonic released a book a couple of years back talking documenting this whole process of what it's like to be part of a band that has a body of work but then also had what was considered one hit and it's really really great it's such a great perspective of that time in the 90s and what mtv and the labels were like how things were changing and how like they they did they stopped kind of cultivating bands at that point because they're like we got to get that one single charge 25 bucks for a cd so that kids could buy this and then you know yeah 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 i i fully agree with you i mean i could go on for hours talking about that type of stuff or at least my view view of that type of stuff but yeah you're you're absolutely right 
Um, well, we mentioned Katie Cole uh, just a while ago. You've worked with her a lot in the recent years. I imagine that process is much different than with Billy. Uh, what are some of the things that you like about working with Katie? Katie, uh, she's she's very much like Billy in the sense that she is a unbelievably hard worker. She takes direction. Like if I have a suggestion or I don't like something in a song, she doesn't. A lot of artists uh, or people, even myself, even. Um, you know, you criticize something, and not to not to criticize, but to kind of critique it. Right. And a lot of people will t instantly take offense to to it, of like, well, you don't like it, or you, you know, or it's this, or it's that. And she'll sit there and she'll she'll be like, okay. And you know, I I get what I call the kind, kind of Katie Cole stare, where she just kind of like looks at me like, <laughs> it's almost like she's looking at like through me, <laughs> and I'll be like. Are you mad at me? She's like, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to process it, you know, do this, do that. It's as much fun as working with Billy because she'll write a song, and we'll go through two to three iterations of it, just in terms of like, well, do we want this to be acoustic? Do we want this to kind of be, you know, more like, you know, um, the faces, or do we want it to be like Fleetwood Mac or whatever it yeah. is? And then it's like, well, how do we do it so that it's still Katie Cole but not? you know, a direct rip of kind of like another artist. Right, very pastiche. Yeah, yeah. and she's she's an unbelievably gifted, um, like, background vocal arranger. She's really, yeah. really, really, really good. I mean, shockingly good. It wasn't until, like, um, and, uh, you know, I hate to, I hope this doesn't seem like blowing smoke um, up your asses or anything, but, like, it really does feel like I didn't, quite notice as far as background vocals go there have been vocalists i'm like wow their their voice are like instruments it's not so much that they're singing it's like it's part of the uh the patchwork of the album and the songs and it wasn't until like listening to sear that pat and i both were like wow it's really cool how katie and when we interviewed her too like how how she came about doing these background vocals and having Sierra's layering too, where it felt like it wasn't so much that they're background vocals, it's more that they're another instrument playing within the sonic landscape of the songs and the album. And right. for us, we love that because we're big fans of like, you mentioned like Peter Gabriel or, mm -hmm. you know, somebody like Kate Bush or like, you know, just these, these visionaries that have these layers in the songs where the instruments aren't exactly just doing the instrument thing. The vocals aren't exactly just doing straight ahead right. vocals. It's just all part of the creative aspect of the song writing and the song production. It, it feels more that she's using her, her skill as an instrument as opposed to just a kind of straightforward backing vocal. Absolutely astute. I mean, I think that's kind of, you know, her, I don't really remember her whole kind of upbringing, but her whole thing was like, she did a lot of corporate gigs and yeah gigs like that you know at, at 15 years old she's doing that stuff and right anybody that has done the, that type of stuff knows that like it's crazy uh intense yeah it's really really intense and you've got it like because they don't want they want it to be the exact thing mm -hmm. they don't want like a, a mock-up of like an earth wind and fire song they want it to sound like an earth wind and fire song yeah so like you're having to you know it's not like there's uh, 
you know, tabs around with like all the background vocal things. So you're having to sit there and kind of break all that stuff apart. And I think that's where, you know, Billy's been really great with using Katie is that like, he's able to say to her, I want this to sound like 67 Beatles, but also, you know, a bit of, you know, Queen and a bit of this or a bit of that. And she's able to go, okay, I get that. You know, she, I mean, look, there's very few that I've been around that will, will hear a track and go, oh, that's very Gary Newman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's not because it's even, even me, I don't even really listen to that stuff, but she, like, she walked into the studio and we're doing stuff. She's like, oh, this is very this, or it's very that. I'm sitting, I'm like, Jesus. I mean, I don't even know, you know, yeah. but she knows all these references because she's consumed all this music her whole life. Right. Um, you know, so that's a bit of, you know, blowing smoke from me <laughs> to her, but, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love it. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I, I hope that the, you know, sh she continues to be part of it or it's some, in some form or right. another, because I, I th like you, I think it brings an added, an added level to the, to the music for sure. Yeah. I think she's just as integral a part to those albums, like these past two albums, like a member as opposed to just kind of a background vocalist because of what she adds to it. Yeah. You know, and of course, Sierra's contributions too, but yeah. Sierra's fantastic. I mean, you know, every, look, everybody's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I got to meet Sierra uh, finally. I mean, I, I, I briefly met Katie a few times, but the circumstances, you know how it is with shows and whatnot, and you don't want to yeah, step yeah. on any toes. But like with Sierra, I actually got to hang out, hang out with her a little bit. And uh, what a wonderful woman. <laughs> Just oh, she's like, great. Yeah. Uh, she was fantastic. She's fun and she's fun to have around. She has a, an amazing voice. Yeah. I love her voice. Um, super talented. Yeah. And, you know, that's the great thing about being everybody now is that it's all kind of fun. Yeah, it's a good hang. It's, it's all a good hang. Yeah. I mean... 20 years ago, I, it, it was it was a little bit more work, yeah. If, if that makes any more sense. But now it's like everybody's kind of relaxed into whatever roles they they are, who, who, whoever they are, and it's just every every everybody's just a good hang at this point. You came in at a very rocky time, you know. We're talking about now. I mean, the the day that we're talking is the 25th anniversary of Adore. Yeah, and you know a lot of things are being posted today about like the story behind it billy had uh said a few words about it and you know that's that's a tough i kind of i mean i i can't imagine what that feels like for you to come in one to start your your relationship with the pumpkins but also during that time in the band's life and in billy's life what that must feel like of getting into the trenches of such a cloudy kind of atmosphere and time mm -hmm. and then you end up producing what now is considered uh, a masterpiece you know i think that it's it's held in high regard with siamese dream and with melancholy because there are fans out there who are just like that's the album yeah and how does that feel 25 years later to kind of have like when you have that hindsight of going into that situation I don't really view it that way because like, you know, when I see people, when I see people talk about the record or I see a post or Billy mentions something or whatever, even, you know, even if Billy and I are talking about the record is, I just remember 
the more day-to-day kind of things that went on. Yeah. Like ridiculous things like, you know, uh, Bon Harris being sequestered into the machine room with like his wall of synths. Right, yeah. You know, James and I would be, you know, this is Sunset Sound uh, Studio 2. There's a little ISO booth, but, you know, James and I would be in this tiny little ISO booth with a tape machine and a small little console and and he's doing his guitar parts billy being the main you know just all like i remember that type of stuff yeah rather than the drama and story behind yeah, it yeah right because because i didn't really know too much of like the drama or you know maybe more to the point i wasn't really interested in mm-hmm. the band itself was interesting enough yeah that like adding the drama whatever drama may have been around them at that point in time it it, it i just didn't clock it i just wasn't interesting to me yeah you know it was more interesting to be sit and and this is a really weird thing to say it was more interesting to me to be sitting there at four o'clock in the morning with bjorn thorsrud this was when you know again very early in pro tools you'd have to back up pro tools to a cd right wasn't even dvd at the time to a cd and i swear to god to you literally 50 percent of the time it would get halfway through the verification yep and it would it wouldn't verify, and you'd be like, "I got to do it again." Yeah. So you're there for another hour. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of thing. So I mean, you know, just looking back at it, you know, 25 years ago, it's just like that's the type of stuff I remember because it makes me laugh. Yeah. You know, you know, because I remember Bjorn just sitting there and like South Park had just become a thing. Yeah. We got to put on South Park. <laughs> <laughs> he put on South Park. <laughs> we, you know. He, We'd watch that while we're working, yeah. you know. And the other thing, the other really interesting, I don't know if it's really interesting, but the other interesting, it was really interesting to me at the time. The way that Billy went about making this record, he he chose black and white films that would be on a constant loop. Oh, wow. Like, a, he'd choose a song, or a, not a song, a, a video. Yeah. Or, or a movie. And it would just play on the monitor the whole day. Oh, Wow. Which was really interesting, and and we talked about it at the time, and we've subsequently talked about it since. But like his whole idea was like you know, he could be doing something and then look up, and it, it would almost be like it's a soundtrack kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean it's 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 something I still do. like. I'll have you know off on my screen if I'm mixing or something. They'll yeah. be just I literally will have a movie running the same movie the whole day, and just have it. And you know you'll look over and it'll be like oh. This is kind of lining up nice, or right. doing that kind of thing nice. But um, yeah, that's just a little, just a little thing that was going on. Burned a lot of cucumber candles too. I remember. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I always thought that Billy's music very cinematic, especially that album too. Uh, I mean, I, the the cinematic aspect came into it for me, even with Siamese Dream. I think we compared like Siamese Dream is a movie, and Melancholy and Infinite Sadness is the Broadway play. Which is so interesting being that this album, Autumn, is more of a rock opera and it kind of fits into that theme. But with Adore, I mean, I've just always seen them as a cinematic band and Billy, especially with his obsession with old Hollywood. I had actually put together, I'd made two videos for uh, the album using mixed media and I'd made one for... I know, they they got taken down. Well, I put, they're on my Vimeo now. Uh, oh, okay. but I, it's on our link in the, um, our link tree, but I did one for hooray and I did one for, um, the calling. Cause I mean, the calling was one of the songs that's really stood out to me because of the way that it just like is so 
massive and towards the end it's just like so like ah <laughs> like it's yeah. like the heavens are opening up and yeah. it's one of my it might be my favorite track off the album but i had the time and i was like i'm gonna take these old 20 sci-fi movies black and white sci-fi movies and cut it up and make a video to it to it because that's this is what i see when i'm oh, listening awesome. to it I I will definitely check that out. I, I thought it was all taken down. No, thankful. I mean, they took it down from YouTube because, yeah. and it wasn't even, what was so funny about that, now that Billy owns the rights to this, it's not so much a problem for past Zeitgeist stuff, but for some reason, there was a, a third party that's been going around uh, claiming copyrights on behalf of the artist without even talking to the artist and then huh. using that to say, hey, look, we found this and we were able to take this down. If you to want us to get money. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, if you want us yeah, to work yeah. for you. And so, like, it got kind of fucked because of that. But Vimeo, thankfully, because it's more of a um, for like directors and creators to put stuff up. So it's a little bit. And also, I don't have it listed um, other than just the <laughs> link. Because if you right. list it and you monetize it, I never monetize. Well, we, we don't monetize this podcast. We don't monetize because of the nature of what you're using. Yeah. Um, so with that, it's just, I just hosted on Vimeo, but I, I was really happy with how they turned out and it was fun for me. I might do a, I might do one more from the album. I would like to, I, I have to go check out the hooray one because, you know, I know it's not a favorite among, I among love the, it. uh, I think it's, it's one of the most fun songs on the record. And yeah. honestly, if you don't get it, yeah, that's on you. You really, it's, yeah. It's, it's meant to be that way. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing with that song was, and, and Billy will tell you, I thought he was nuts. Yeah. Cause he, he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm thinking Main Street Electrical por Parade. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding? What are you talking about? And, and he, he pulls it up. I'm like, you want it to sound like this? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. I love it. it you know, again, it's like, it's, it's just so fun. Katie and Sierra kill it with the background oh, yeah. vocals. And then it gets to that end, you know, and it just has that long vamp on that crazy kind of almost uh not calliope but that synth thing that just goes around and around yeah. forever it's great so giddy up such a fun song i personally i love it and it got me excited for the album because i was like when when it was first announced that it was a rock opera maybe it's just the way that i think of it like i know what rock operas are i mean i i grew up with Prague and all this other stuff so mm -hmm. it's like i know concepts i know what rock operas are supposed to sound like and I knew that we'd be in store for something that was not quite the straight ahead uh, Pumpkins album. So when I heard Hooray, I was like blown away because I was like, this is so <laughs> insane and so fun to me. And I and then hearing him talk about what the, the genesis of the idea was, where it's like, yeah, if you have that context, I can imagine course, somebody right? who's only going to a concert to see, you know, the Rat in a Cage song. And then right. all of a sudden they, they go home and they put on Autumn and they just like, hey, let me listen to Hooray. <laughs> let me see what this sounds like. I know that that reaction is going to be like, what the fuck is this? But for somebody like me who's so ingrained and, you know, follows what the whole evolution of the band and happy when Billy gets to stretch his legs like this. Right. It, it feels it's fun to me. I don't know. I just I love that he gets to do things like that because I'd be so bummed out if he felt like he had to keep making Bullet with Butterfly Wings or 1979 Part Two. You know what I mean? Like it. Right. It, it, it's it's refreshing to me 
as somebody who appreciates art that he gets to do something like that and i don't see it as like a how some fancy it as a middle finger so yeah it's 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 not it's definitely it's a win for everybody because then it makes the the rock stuff if you're into the rock stuff it makes the rock stuff rock more yeah if you're into the synth stuff it makes the synth stuff more you know cool or whatever yeah. it whatever it is it's like you need levity in life yeah you, everything can't be dour and and sour <laughs> well i love it it's a buffet for me because i love all those <laughs> things i love synth i love rock i love so like for me it's like my favorite band gets to do all these things i'm surprised that a lot of people don't talk about especially in the pumpkin land mm. is uh avalanche yeah well i love avalanche I think that is hands down. I mean, in terms of like a Smashing Pumpkin song, that is a great Smashing Pumpkin song. It's so it, I love the avenues it takes. Like the the journey it takes you on is yeah. so. Yeah, there's just so many little things that I appreciate about Autumn, and that for me it feels like it kind of. I mean, there's there's some great parts in part one, and uh, it really started to connect with me in Act Two. But something about that Act Two going into the rest of Three. Mm -hmm. for me is just like incredibly impressive and really cool of like yeah. the, the the way that the songs go through these journeys and, so, and they've always done that but there's something about the way that it just maybe because of the theme and maybe because of the story behind it that it just feels a little bit more i've said this before but it feels like i'm reading tolkien or something i don't know it's just like a rich <laughs> richer world than just listening to it and i'm absolutely nerdy for that you know yeah yeah billy really allowed the songs the the length they needed too yeah you know like it wasn't like i i gotta keep this at three minutes 30 it was like i mean sojourners what seven minutes long yeah and, Intergalactic is like eight minutes, eight and a half minutes, mm -hmm. obviously. And I'm, I'm with you. I've, the two going into three or the back half of two going in all the way through three is fantastic. Yeah. But, um, you know, again, I think without, as we've talked about, without the whole thing, yeah. you lose context. I don't think it would be as good. I don't it think it be would be as good. Because the way I, it's hard because I think at the time when they're releasing each song like week by week, you know, it's good to have that time with it. But then also you're kind of like, waiting to kind of see where it goes but then once it was all done and like i said i looked at it i know it's a rock opera and you could think more of it as an opera but i i really did see it as movie structure yeah. of like first act second act third act you know and like using the hero's journey structure too and feeling like oh now i get it you know, yeah. where maybe I didn't connect that first to Butterfly Sweet, but then now in the context of the album, I'm like, oh, okay, I see where I can follow this journey and I can feel like, you know. Yeah. 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 It's rewarding. If you give it if you give it a minute, yeah. it's it's pretty rewarding. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, as a as a pumpkins <laughs> fan and a music fan and somebody who's nerdy about that stuff, like I personally appreciate it because I don't I can't say that I know many bands these days that give that care and treatment and there's yeah. some great stuff you know like i think like I, I love the new metallica album and people complain about that and you yep. know it's like can you i mean look 
to be as old as they are putting out a record like that like it's it's it says a lot it's it's fantastic absolutely and and it's and it's quality stuff too i think so but i like it as well yeah but it just feels like i think it's so easy to just put a song on streaming and just kind of forget about it so i appreciate that i have to take the time with this album and i have to or billy in general anything he puts out that i have to and this podcast has kind of forced me to i think part of the reason why i fell off like some fans during the reformation period or zwan period is one being in a different part of my life but then also it's like i just didn't have the time to spend on it Mm -hmm. like i did before and then doing this podcast when i decided to do it 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 forced me to spend time with that post machina stuff the way that i did with the machina before you know like right so then it really started to seep in and really connect and i'm like oh okay that's what was missing is that i really didn't kind of take the time to maybe listen to it the way I should. And I know Billy isn't concerned too much about that being like, listen to it, how you listen to it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and also, you know, look, he's, you know, like a lot of artists, you get 30 years into a career. And I mean, think about the amount of music just in the past three years or so that we've really, I mean, he went from OG Lala into shiny. Yeah. Cause day for night was abandoned before day for night was a post monuments. Right. Um, and that was the record we, we sort of abandoned. Then he did OG Lala. He did uh, Shiny. Then he went. They went into um, Seer. Yeah, yeah, which is t- twenty songs, right, right? Right. And then Cotillions was in there somewhere. Yep. There's a lot of music flying around, so it's easy to kind of dismiss. And it's not like every three or five years you're getting music. It's like you're getting music. It's like Prince level, right? Yeah. Where you're just getting songs like every day, it seems. Right. You know, it's a nonstop thing, but that's what makes this band this, that band. I mean, I know it's great. And I, I mean, Guided by Voices is one of my favorite bands, but there's no way I can keep up with like, they're releasing like <laughs> two or three albums a year, Robert Pollard. Right. And then he'll go and release like two or three solo albums. And it's just like, you, you'll hear like, Hey, Guided by Voices has another album out. And you're like, again you know and i'll try to know, listen honestly i haven't heard that that name in so long i didn't realize they were still making music okay okay go look <laughs> at their discography go to just go look and you'll see in probably the last time that you've heard ab- about them uh i don't know when's the last time you probably heard uh oh my god like early you know early 2010s or so so in that uh 13 years they probably released probably 20 albums or something Holy like it's like go look it up and you'll see like wow. it's, i'm probably uh, exaggerating but seriously it's at least at the very least two albums a year almost right so uh, i don't mean, i mean that's that that to me starts to become just because guided by voices does what guided by voices does and that can kind of feel a little bit samey but it's still good Right, and that's why I appreciate that. Even though Billy's releasing all this music, OG Lala, Shiny, Seer, Cotillions, Autumn, wildly different, and the Psych record. Right, yes, uh, which I was listening to uh, earlier, and I, I still love it. I mean, it, it's. Did you get a box set? I did. Oh wow! Yeah, so it is. It is a bit of. Um, you have to kind of uh, dedicate some time to 
to listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like flipping <laughs> it over every so often. But um, it's worth it. I don't know. That box set is really incredible. The way that they put that together with like Caitlin stuff and yeah, yeah, it's, it's really gorgeous. It's, it's one thing you, again. You got to give it up to to the band to Billy. It's like they don't they don't cheat you. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody's talked about it, but on the box set, you know, you have basically three and a half records, and then you have a whole story. Yeah. With all that music that's in there. Yeah. I mean, have you listened to that yet? I haven't had a chance to listen to that, but fans have loved that. And I think, I don't know if you know anything about this, but they were wondering if that was going to be another uh, for the rest of it. There may be. That's, that's, it's always left up in the, stuff is always left up in the air. But um, we had, what's his, what was the guy's name? Not, uh, Billy. Oh, yeah. Um, Bill Curtis. You know, just the fact that we got him to, to narrate it. Yeah. Billy did like all, like the kind of, the sound effects and anything that's kind of like uh, cheap, like let's call it keyboardish or yeah. synthy, all that stuff, all that sound design. And then on top of that, we had a friend of mine in town, his name is Tim Lauer, did all those string arrangements. Oh wow! So the string and horn stuff that you hear, there's like four or five pieces that you'll, you'll hear throughout the whole thing. We recorded all of that with obviously you know string section yeah. and, and did all so like. You have all of that. Whereas I feel like, you know, any other band would have maybe just done, I just have to have, uh, Bill Curtis, yeah. just have him narrated or have somebody narrate it and that'll be fine. Or we'll add some like moody keyboards. But Billy went the distance because he was like, no, conceptually, I wanted to sound like, um, I think he, I think we were, he was referencing like the 50s and 60s, uh, Disney records that you would yeah. get that would do this. Yeah. Like it would be the narration of the story and it would have the, the strings or whatever it was and all of that. Kind of like what Brian Wilson did with uh, Holland, the Beach Boys album Holland, where he had this yeah. like extra storytelling yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. A bit, a bit like that. It's a great listen just from that kind of aspect, knowing that it's meant to sound like a, you know, 60s, 70s kind of Disney thing. A lot of fans have like kind of when we've talked to them about the the album and stuff they've really enjoyed that part of the box set it also was like to me i love it i really do love it but that outer silver sleeve uh putting the album back into that is like putting chips ahoy back into the sleeve it's like you're like i don't want to rip this i don't want to it's very takes a while just a bunch of crinkling waking up my child at night <laughs> being like sorry daddy's putting the record back well, I have a few more questions here. Yeah, uh, these are from how... the listeners. This is from Fade the Rally. What are your personal favorite SP or Zwan or WPC songs? We mentioned earlier uh, off of Seer, Hidden Sun. Yeah. I think that is, that's like A-level genius kind of songwriting. I love, I love Tale of Dusty and Pistol Pete. lyrics really really smart yeah such a smart lyric and and great melody great melody chain again off that re off that particular record nightmare it's great yes. um love that song i mean i can name songs off of every record that i, right. I like you know there's like soma obviously i am one there's uh eye of the morning yeah um that's a personal favorite off of Machinist. That's, that's that's a great song. I love Dross. Yes. You say I'm beautiful. 
I'm we're everybody is I know it's I've I've talked to the camp about this and I know that it's still um there there's still negotiations happening and it's the label that's dragging their feet. Yeah, we're we finished it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's it's so frustrating. So they so so fans just you know, it's not it's not the SP camp. Yeah. It's it's external. It has nothing to do with the SP camp. But uh, it's a good. Bo- it's going to be a good box set. It's going to be really. There's a lot of music. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of music to that. But hearing that song, I think as a high quality, you know, recording as opposed yeah. to the the leaked. I guess the one that we have access to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of fans are salivating for that one in particular. I know. Yeah. Well, kind of on the on the 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 theme of. Machina one and two. One of the things that I really love about Machina is the production aspect of it, the soundscape of it, and the the abrasiveness of it. It's almost like um, My Bloody Valentine kind of putting through a shredder or something, because there are yeah. moments that are purposely blown out, peaked, uh, like the end of Blue Skies Bring Tears. You know, uh, that that kind of comes to my mind when I think about that. How much mm-hmm. of a conscious decision is that? And like, were there any touchstones for that album or that project for both of those albums that helped y'all make those decisions? Because that's what makes it stand out from the other Pumpkins albums, I think, is the 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 tone and the sonic landscape of it. Well, Machine Eye, Billy was very much, did want it to sound dy- dystopian and, you know, alien mm-hmm. in, in a sense. Um, yeah, I mean, there were a number of songs where, like, um, I think White Spider, maybe one yes. of them, um, where we literally took the mix and we ran it through preamps. Holy and shit. Got it, just blew up the mix. Again, you know, it would have been easy for the band just to pull out the marshals again or you know, whatever, and just do the stuff. But then Everlasting Gaze wouldn't stand out the way it does if it wasn't coming out the headphone, headphones of a mini crate amp. <laughs> yeah. We had to half patch because we didn't have, cause, so that it would make the connect, you know, it's just like all this bizarre stuff that we had to do. Yeah. You know, so like that's a line out. That's not a mic'd guitar. Yeah. You know, it's same thing with the bass in that song, right? But why does that song work? Otherwise, it would just be kind of like, you know, it'd be rock and roll disco. Yes, yes. You know, with the soundscape or with the, with Billy's conception of it, it becomes kind of like this other kind of like, what what the hell are they doing kind of thing. Yeah. Machine is a very rewarding listen for me. But what really stood out to me, they recently re-released, I say recently, it was like a year or two ago, they re-released the HD... Uh, cleaned up version of the video for Everlasting Gaze. Yeah. And for some reason, that track, I don't know if they used the the remix track or what, but something about the the sound quality of it in the going into the chorus, I heard this whole new dimension of those guitars, that beautiful, lush chorus and, you know, flange or whatever it is that you're using yeah. on it. And I was just blown away because I had been living with that song for, you know, however, 20 whatever years. And all of a sudden I'm hearing it in a new way and I'm like, I can't wait to sit down to hear the cleaned up, you know, all these like nuances, especially yeah, that for just maybe a remastered version. It's really great. And I'm looking yeah. forward, especially to the Machina two songs to hear them in a, 
proper non-leaked way, ripped from vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fade the Rally has another question. What, if any specific instances, do you recall you were opposed to the direction of a song should take production-wise? Billy often mentions the Howard Frowny face. I wouldn't say that I'm ever opposed to a direction. It may just be more of... It gets, a, it gets into kind of like the idea of do you want it to sound like something that's old or do you want it to sound like something that's new? Mm-hmm. Nostalgia is a weird thing because it's, you know, we, we like something for a certain reason. It yeah. doesn't mean that it's always the best thing to give you, especially if you're trying to move your band or your whatever it is forward. I mean, like if Billy says, I, I want, it's like, hooray, I, you know, I want to do Main Street Electrical Parade. Great. Right. Billy's like, I want to do, you know, a, a polka record. Okay. The thing is, is I know it's not going to be a polka record in the traditional sense. Right. Right. It's going to be polka record through whatever lens we're going through. If it's through yeah. the, uh, the Pumpkins lens or if it's through Billy Corgan's solo lens or whatever, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be, it's going to be a specific kind of thing. Right. I'm always trying to be the, uh, a listener. I, I don't want to be someone that's like, well, this works. And so I'll just, you know, we'll just keep doing the same thing. Yeah. Because there's, there's plenty of that. Yeah, of there's, course. There's plenty of that. Well, I have one last listener question here. Mary Farah says, what's an album you wished you produced? That's so tough because like, yeah, you literally could say anything and old man just talking about anything from like Revolver all the yes. way up through Let It Be, right? Yeah. The Queen records, any of the Bowie records, especially oh, yeah. the, the, especially the German. The Eno records, stuff, yeah. The Eno stuff. I mean... The Smiths. I mean, Depeche Mode. I mean, any of that stuff. Is there an artist that maybe you would like to work with? That you would like to be like, I'd like to get in there with them and see what happens. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, I just finished working. I didn't produce it, but I just finished working with the Struts. Okay. For a great rock and roll band. You know, they had a single out maybe three or four years ago, and I remember thinking through, man, I would love to work with that band. And then I ended up, you know, again, I didn't produce it, but ended up working with the band, and, you know, they're great rock and roll. Again, in, in the vein of Cheap Trick and all of that stuff. Yeah, love that. Um, well, I'm going to leave you with one last question here. If there are any people listening and they're interested in getting into this field of work, what advice would you have for somebody who's starting out or say they're in the middle of their journey and they're feeling a little bit like stuck or they don't know what to do next or basically any advice for somebody who wants to do what you do? That's a great question, Frank. But I, I, I parse this with saying we all have kind of whatever monetary needs we have. Like when I was in starting my career, I didn't, I didn't have... I wasn't married. I didn't have I didn't have kids or anything like that. So obviously you have to do what's right in terms of who else is around you. Right. Um, but the one thing that I always did and I still do is I don't mind making backward moves or lateral moves to to work with an artist or 
to get a gig or whatever it is of something that I really want to do. If it means me leaving town for four months to go work with an artist, I, I don't have any qualms with doing it. And I'm lucky enough, at, you know, at this point to be able to do that. And my, my uh, personal life doesn't suffer from that. Mm -hmm. It is about taking chances. And it, it, the, other, the other side of it is, and I'll give a piece of advice that Chad Blake gave me, which is he, I was sitting with him one day and we were talking and I, I asked him, you know, how, how did you kind of get to where you're at or do it? You know, what, why do people come to you for what you do? And this, this would have been mid-90s. So this is like around, you know, Los Lobos. This is before he became huge, huge with like black keys and all of that type right. of stuff. Um, but he, but he said, you know what, Howard, I just do what I do and people come around to it, have come around to liking what I do. So he didn't necessarily when, and that's one of the things like I, I, it, it's a really difficult road to be on this side of the glass where you have people that will come to you and say, I need you to mix this. And you're like, okay, great. And then they say, but I want it to sound like this guy. <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, I'm not that guy. Yeah. You know, and even, even I, I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to try to make it sound like that or, yeah. or do anything. You know what I mean? Like, look, li if you listen to Autumn, there's four mixers on that record. But you wouldn't know that there's... It's not like there's four disparate sounds on it, right? Right. We're all pretty. I, I'm one of the mixers, but you know, we we had Andrew Sheps, we had uh, Dave Schiffman, and uh, Ryan Hewitt were the other the other three, and all great mixers, all just all great mixers. Not once did we say to them, "We we want you to sound like you, or you to sound like you, or you to sound like yeah." Just bring your thing to it. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of like what gets lost a lot today is like there's a lot of chasing of someone else's sound. Mm -hmm. It kind of brings us back into the pumpkins where there's a chasing of, of someone else's sound instead of trying to find your own sound mm -hmm. and, and be your own person. That's the one piece of advice I could I can give is just be your own person. Obviously, within, you know, if you've got to work at Starbucks, you, you know, to, to make ends meet, you got to do it. Yeah. You know, but then. Make sure that, like, don't complain about it if you've got to come home and you've got to mix, you know, these songs for these other people. That's the gig. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't get paid for six months and literally um, would steal bread because I would have to go get food. I would take bread out of people's orders <laughs> so that I could eat. Right. Because I, I wasn't getting paid. Yeah. You do what you got to do. Yeah. And if you're like, say, if there's a kid at high in high school who like is like, oh, I want to kind of get into this, would you recommend that they like find like uh, bands that they can offer to like just kind of cut their teeth on, or like what, should they study it, or like what? Hundred percent. Well, you should do kind of all of those things. The big, mm -hmm. the biggest thing I would say is to YouTube's great, but don't go down the rabbit holes or the the bad channels as I. I call them. There's a, there's a lot of sites, as I'm sure there are for, for like what you do. There's a lot of sites that offer these these things that are just nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's like plugins. You know, on my side, I think plugins don't make you sound like so and so, and this doesn't make you sound like so and so. 
it's like you got to put in the work mm-hmm. and you've got to listen to music you can't like how, how can you talk to an artist if if someone says you know i you know i have this idea but you know i kind of want it to sound like jimmy chamberlain playing drums but i want it to sound like uh you know uh, jimmy hendrix on guitar or blah, blah you know whatever right. they, whatever it is and they're trying to pull together these disparate things and you're trying to kind of like navigate this whole thing so so what does that mean to you and when you say hendrix you know or do you mean the sound or do you mean the playing style or do you mean that you know what i mean yeah you gotta listen to a lot of music and not just especially you gotta listen to music outside of what you like yeah always listen to music outside of what you like because that's where you'll find a lot of the great the best influences and you can bring that stuff into th- into the music you do like to do mm-hmm you know, I mean, look, Muse is a perfect example of that, right? Like, this, this, the biggest stuff that he's done has all basically been ripoff of classical music. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, it's kind of what Queen did a bit, but uh, yeah. 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 I mean, Billy, Billy, you know, over the making of this record was listening to, was it to, to Brahms or one, one of those? Like, yeah. incessantly, like, like nonstop. And we'd come in and be talking about it. You know, and I'm, I like that stuff, but he found some playlist where they had every Brahms record, you know, piece ever. Yeah. And he was listening to that the whole time. Oh, wow. But that's my point. It's like, and that's that's what may, makes great producers or engineers. It's like, it's like, you know, Bowie would steal from the 20s and steal from the 40s and put it through his thing and yeah. pop it out and run it through you know and and you get genius yeah you get things that are different from everybody else's things so that's that's kind of the vibe just listen to a lot of music work with as many artists as you can get paid <laughs> there's a fine line between cutting your chops yeah. and being used yeah absolutely but i did the machina record and i came back to town um came back to los angeles and I couldn't get a gig. Like I met with like A&R people and blah, blah, blah. I couldn't get a gig, couldn't get a gig. And finally I, I met with some band and I was basically broke. I was, I, I had to make rent and all of this. I was undercutting everybody. Like I was saying, oh, I'll do it for this amount of money. I'll do it for this amount of money. Right. Finally, you know, met with a band, blah, blah, blah. How much, you know, how much are you doing it? And I just did the full whack price that everybody else was doing. It's like, great, no problem. Yeah know your worth well there's a perception too because people like they see cheap they think they're going to get cheap yeah but i'm not saying to abuse you know and take advantage but i am saying to yeah absolutely know your worth i don't think it's abusing at all when you know what you're worth and what people do make off of it you know it's like well why can't i make that amount too i do just as good work yeah yeah i i've i feel strongly about because in my profession too there's a lot of exploitation and in the comedy yeah. community I came up with you know we'd perform for free because it was exposure that's changed since then but it really was like you're cultivating a, a name for a, an establishment and you're not really getting your worth out of it you know so you have to kind of stand up for yourself and know like I know what it's what I what I charge to to coach or to direct or anything like that. So it's you have to know what your worth is, and if you're just starting out, just don't get taken advantage of. It's still your time. 
yeah, it's it's absolutely your time, and the band or whomever is definitely going to get their money's worth. Right. They're going to get their, you know, they're going to get what they're putting into it. Howard, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me because, like I said, we don't know much about you in the pumpkin world. You know, we don't get to, there's no like kind of biography or anything we can kind of read about your background. So I really appreciate you coming on and being open with us and answering these questions. And I just want to, again, compliment on all the work that you've done and especially with the recent release of Autumn and what what you, oh, you what you all achieved it's just a really it's something to be incredibly proud of yeah yeah everybody involved did a fantastic job it's been it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun and thank you for having me yeah and i know you're heading into uh to a new album so uh godspeed <laughs> yes. stay sane and uh, uh don't be a stranger absolutely not Any, anytime you want me back just let me know all right cool thanks howard thanks frank that was my interview with Howard Willing. He was a true gentleman, and I can't stress enough how grateful we are for the time he took to speak to us. Hopefully you enjoyed our chat. You can let us know what you think on our socials. On Instagram, we're at Smashing Pumpcast, cast spelled K-A-S-T. On Twitter slash X, we're Pumpkins Podcast. And now we're on Blue Sky at Smashing Pumpcast, K-A-S-T, or you can always email us at thesmashingpumpcast at gmail.com. Once again, cast is spelt K-A-S-T. And if you want to support the show, go to our Patreon or buy me a coffee links in the show description. And please help us out. Leave a good review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That'll do it for this episode of the Smashing Pumpcast coming up. We have some little goodies here and there, as well as our coverage of Seer. So until next time, we bid you all a fond farewell and good night.